0: I wonder if you would uh, take a moment, because I, I hear more and more individuals are watching uh, online, uh, so would you welcome our online audience tonight? Put your hands together. Yeah. Amen. So we welcome each of them. 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, and I just want to read the text, verse number 26, Paul's writing here, First Corinthians Church at Corinth, brothers, he says, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. That's uh, encouraging, isn't it? Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential, and not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness holiness and redemption when to pause notice it's righteousness and holiness, that is our right living and our purity and our redemption. I highlight that for a moment because we take redemption seriously, but we don't often hear the emphasis as it relates to holiness and righteousness. And holiness and righteousness have to be a part of a person's life, or you won't see the fruit of in the manifestation of the redemption, if there is no holiness and righteousness. In other words, what he's saying is you cannot justifiably say that you're a Christian and there is no fruit and there is no desire to be holy and there is no desire to be righteous. So you can screen your decisions in life, generally in culture. You can screen the movies, you can screen your activities through the screen of righteousness and holiness. God, is this uplifting? God, is this uh, bring pleasure to you, this decision? And the redemption, of course, is important. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boast, boast in the Lord, boast in the Lord. So we ask God to bless our time together tonight. And the scriptures, we know that there are many occasions in which God took nothing and made something of use and of value. You can look at your own life, my life. God took something that had no value and he touched it and he made it valuable. Somebody say amen. I'll give an example. He spoke the world into existence. Imagine that. He spoke it into existence. He created man so that we didn't get haunty and on an eye horse out of dirt. Everybody with me? He made a woman from a rib. How wonderful is that? Joseph was an abandoned boy, and God touched him and he became a king. Moses was a tongue-tied man, but he became a deliverer. There was a little cloud that wouldn't mean much if you're looking for a thunderstorm unless... You've heard the instruction of the prophet of God. It turned into a thundering rain. Why? Because God touched it. David was a young boy. Individuals thought not much to him, but he became a mighty king and a mighty conqueror. Peter, he was known for smelly hands. He was a fisherman, but he became a great leader and preached one of the great messages recorded in Acts, the second chapter. Why? Because God touched him. The little nation of Israel became God's chosen nation because God has ordained and touched them. You hear the phrase, don't mess with Texas. Let me just tell you something else. Don't mess with Israel. You just don't touch. They have an anointing of God upon them, and God will guide and direct. And most every time that God took what man would overlook. How many biblical illustrations do we have? That man would overlook and used it for his glory. And our text reveals that. It states the fact that Paul is speaking to the church at Corinth, which was a, uh, a haughty uh, church, which was, in to some degree, an intellectual group of individuals, uh, individuals that, that academically... Uh, had academic prowess, and he's sharing with them the simplicity of the gospel, which trips a lot of people up because of its simplicity. And he identifies the problem Paul does in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 22. This is what he said, the Jews, you demand miracles and signs. So Jesus, perform them, perform them, turn the water into wine, perform them, raise, raise uh, touch Lazarus. We, we want to see signs. And he said, the Greeks are looking for intellectual genius for wisdom. We want you to be able to look at a situation as Solomon did and say, who's trying to figure out whose baby it is? And the Greeks are saying, that's that's what we want to be able to do. We want to have that kind of wisdom. But the reality is that you and I, before God touched us, ordained us. We were lost. We were blind. We were confused. We were frustrated. We were filled with pride. And yet he reached down and touched each of us and placed a redeeming brand on us through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the power of the gospel. And by making those observations, he stated that God is not interested, and I don't mean this literally, but his focus is not interested that only the elite are the ones that really, really count, but rather he's interested in whosoever will. Amen? Whosoever will come. We understand that. Make yourself available. Major biblical characters have challenges and weaknesses that even after they were called and touched by God, they still had challenge. So it's amazing that he reaches out and he touches up vessels of clay. And yet after the touch of God, it does not make, up, make us perfect. It does not say you'll never fail, you'll never blow it, you'll never mess up. You're going to have thoughts, you're going to have emotions, you're going to have instances in which you don't sound very much like a redeemed person. David. The Bible says David was troubled and battled deep despair. Why? Because of sin in his life. Psalms 38, 4. He says, my my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. Elijah, imagine. Here's a guy who has performed many wonderful miracles, but he's weary and afraid. He talks to God. This is a guy that God touched. He said, I've had enough. I've simply had enough. Take my life I am no better than my ancestors. This is someone that God touched. Not only that, it was Jonah who was angry and wanted to run. Not only did he want to run, he did run. And ran away from God after God touched him, spoke to his heart, said, here's your GPS of where I want you to go. And he says in Jonah 4, 3, Oh, Lord, take my life away, for it is better for me to die than to live misfits, individuals that God has touched. And yet we find that still that little bit of human nature would give them wrong information and they would be misguided. Not only that, Job suffered great loss and devastation to physical illness, and he he stood firm. And when those closest to him said, Job, what's wrong with you? You're still wanting to hold on to, to your integrity. And Job responded in Job 10, he said, I loathed my life. I loathe my life. I am in such trouble, I loathe my life. Moses grieved over the sin of God's people. He said, listen, now please forgive their sin, but if not, blot, blot me out of the book. I don't even want to go. I don't want to be a part of the chosen. Who in their right mind who's a believer would say that except the pressure of the enemy? Jeremiah Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. Take a look at Lamentations. As he goes through, he wrestled with loneliness and feeling of defeat and despair and insecurity, and it drove him to say, as recorded in Jeremiah 20, curse be the day that I was born. All of these people touched by God, all of these individuals used by God, and yet all of those individuals and many, 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 many more who made statements that were not necessarily very pleasing. So what does that mean? It means this, that when your name is written down in the Lamb's book of life, God says, I want you to follow me. I want you to live for me. I want you to be obedient to me. But I also love you enough to know that you still reside in a culture and in a world that can have the ability to influence you. I want you to know that I know that you live in a world that you're going to face human emotion. And although there are going to be times that your best is not going to be good enough and you're going to feel bad about it, but in every situation, God redeemed those individuals through those moments and once again set them in right standing with Him, which means this, you and I have no reason to ever fall and fail and not get up and not continue forward and not and not just throw the towel in so what is it the the great thing that god desires from all of us is our heart i believe and according to scripture if someone has your heart they pretty well they have the rest of you if they have your heart they'll get your money if they have the heart they'll get yes if they have your heart, they'll drive you to the altar and say, I do. Though you don't even know what you're saying, I do too. They got your heart. You got your heart. You'll stop speaking and listen if they have your heart. And that's what the key issue is here that really we must be guided by. And it's a simple point Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians 1, Brothers, he said, think of what you were when you were called. Take a look at your resume historically. And not many of you were wise by human standards. I didn't give you an acid test. I didn't give you a psychological examination. He said not many were influential. You didn't have great riches. You didn't have great money. And not many were noble. In other words, you were not born into a king's household or a major leader. And he said, yet I reached down because I was not concerned About your social status. I was not concerned about what degree that you might hold and how many letters might be at the end of your name. That did not interest me. I wasn't concerned about your financial portfolio or your stock portfolio or what your financial status was. I wasn't interested in how long you'd been exposed to religion and whether or not that you were a Pharisee or whatever. But what I am interested in I'm interested in your heart. I'm interested in your heart. He said, if you understand, I have your heart. I'll have the rest of you, and you'll follow me. Will you be blameless? No, only through the blood of Jesus Christ. Paul writes in Ephesians 1, 4, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Paul says, if the blood is applied, that is enough for a king's crown. So if you look at that, if I have a willing heart, God, do you have all of my heart? Do you you hear me in times of desperation? Do I still try to honor you? We all know that in any relationship, there are spats. How many know what a spat is? Some of you may not. Some of you don't have spats. Some of you have all-out war. Hello? How long does it take for that to happen? Ha, a moment's notice. What's wrong? You know what's wrong. Get ready. Run for cover. But how often have we faced those circumstances and we understand that we say, all right, God, I'm making a mistake. I missed the mark. The blood has covered you unless you turn and deny God and walk away from your relationship with him. And he says, here's the deal. You cannot boast as Paul writing in 1 Corinthians one 29, so that no one may boast before him. In other words, I'll tell you why I got in is because I was able to give the church a hundred thousand dollars. I'll tell you why I got in, because I'm an influential leader in the community. I can make things happen. I know why I got in, because I'm a genius. I just have academic prowess that is absolutely unbelievable. I know why that I got in. I'm a king's son. I know why I got in, one might be able to say. I got in because, hey, I have a stocks that unbelievable, et cetera, et cetera. He said, hey, none of you had that. Because that's not what qualified you. So you will not be able to boast about how you got in the kingdom, why you got in the kingdom, and why God chose you. You cannot boast about your credentials, but boast about one thing. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see by the grace of God. That is the difference that says the willing heart always honors God. God has a desire to take a person or situation that may not appear to have a great potential, anoint them with his love and power. And then with a willing heart, when God, we know that we have a willing heart, God can take our heart and cause us to do exceptional things that bring honor and glory to the Lord then when great things happen, man cannot justifiably say that the flesh did the work, not by power, not by might, but by my spirit. If you live successfully today in victory in Jesus Christ, it's not because of what you did, it's because his grace was there to give you wisdom and guidance if your heart is willing, he will use you for great and mighty things. I see it in in marital spats and marital challenges and marriages and many that will come. I can tell you that when they come in, usually one of them had to be drugged in. Hello? Had to be drugged in. Why are you here? I'm only here because he wanted me to. I'm only here because she wanted me to. I'm only here because I heard that I couldn't justifiably leave them unless I came in and talked to you. Okay, it doesn't sound like you've got a willing heart. No, I don't. Well, let me just tell you, what can you say to a person to get them to want to honor God and their marriage if they don't have a willing heart? I have had individuals come, and it was so destitute and so desperate that they both were so weak that they did come in and had a willing heart. And those people, God can help. I have a willing heart to be used by the Holy Spirit. So if you have a willing heart, God does great things in and through you, then here's what we know. The glory belongs to God. See, we are nothing Except the grace of God. We have no right to even be here tonight except the grace of God. How is it that 300 Christians last month died? Because they would not deny their faith, stood strong in the Lord. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Amen? Boast in the Lord. When we have a willing heart, God starts to bless. When we can be led by the Holy Spirit, God starts to bless. Why? That's what we were created to fulfill the purpose of God. We were created to fulfill God's agenda. We were created as we talk Sunday. It's not, oh, I know the plans you have for you. We said, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh. I know the plans I have for you. In Jeremiah 29, 11, how many remember, I know the plans I have for you. A willing heart says, God, I want your plan. I, I don't want my plan. But listen carefully. You know what? Our carnal nature, our stubbornness, our pride, sometimes we'll say, God, you know, uh, this is what I want. And then, then when we do that, God says, okay, if, if I allow that to happen, that's not the perfect will that is the permissive will. Which is better, the permissive or the perfect will? It is the perfect will. But why are we allowed the permissive will, just often like parents who tell their children, don't do that. If you do, you're going to get in trouble. Don't get engaged in that. You better rethink that and what happens sometimes. We come to the realization that sometimes, listen carefully now, don't misread me, that the consequence is the best teacher when people are hard-headed. How many know what consequence feels like? Don't we? My mother-in-law has never felt any, any consequence at all in her life and her daughter's just like her. No consequence whatsoever, but consequence. So God says, I'll move aside and let you go ahead. And if I let you go ahead, the consequences is going to give you an opportunity then to understand how many of you know that when your children are are 14, 15, 16, you don't know anything. But how do you know when they get two or three kids of their own and they're on up in their 30s and 40s and 50s, they look back at their parents and say, I have the smartest parents in the world. You know, I have the smartest parents. What, What is he saying there? He's saying, hey, understand the blessing of the Lord of how God guides us because of a willing heart. We have to be careful that when we're blessed that we said a moment ago we don't steal the glory of the Lord how many have ever been in the presence of somebody and they took the credit for a project or an event or a circumstance but you knew that it wasn't really them they just happened to be there when it got noticed but it wasn't really them that initiated it or did the hardest work but they took the credit you ever been in the presence of somebody like that sure I have sure You know, what you want to do is say, you know, good and well, you didn't do that. Why are you taking the credit? And that happens all the time. What is that? That's a deceitful heart. It's an unwilling heart. And so here's what God is saying. Don't take anything that you do. Don't take the glory or the credit. Always remember to mention me. Amen? We sing, look what the Lord has done. Look what the Lord has done. It's all. Can we get this in our cranium? It's all about God. We can do nothing that brings glory to heaven unless God is in the mix. Amen? Nothing. It has to be the Lord. So who's Paul speaking to again? He's speaking of these Corinthians. He's speaking of these guys that are intellectual. He's speaking to these guys that are academians, many of them. The Jews are over here saying, show us another sign. Show us another sign. And you know what happened to the Jews? Jesus performed miracles. But before Jesus, there were miracles being performed. And you know what happened? A Jew would follow a person who even was demonically anointed by the enemy. If they performed a miracle, a Jew in many cases would follow them. Who was it that cried, crucify him? Many of the Jewish brothers that were there. Why? Because they thought, wow, Look at this. Always give the glory and honor of the Lord. Here's what Paul says. Here's how I've sealed it. Now I think we could agree. Maybe, maybe we could agree. Paul was a, was a thinker, a processor. Paul was a man of God. Paul was committed to God. Paul suffered for God. He writes about it. But this is what he said. He said, "Here's how I've managed it in my life." In First Corinthians two, two, for I, res- I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I'd say, that's pretty good testimony. He said, this is how I've couched it and I filed it. I determined not to know anything except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I came to you in weakness in fear and and with much trembling. And in spite of my weakness, God gave mighty miracles. Victory Church is a miracle story. Some of you are a miracle story. David, <clears throat> David Maines, many of you may remember him, 100 Huntley Street, The what would be considered to be the uh, in Canada, the vice president, we call it what would be a vice president of Canada, was at David's funeral. The place was packed. The, the big Queensway Cathedral there in Toronto was packed and overflow, and thousands and thousands around the world were watching online. He, uh, he orchestrated his own service before he died months and months before. The guy that he wanted to preach his funeral died before he did. So they got someone else to preach. It did an amazing job. But David was healed right here. Leukemia had months to live. And right here, one Sunday night, the Holy Spirit reached down and touched him and added years to his life. The months that he was supposed to die went right on by. 12 months more, 12 months more, 12 months more, 12 months more. But everywhere he went, when I talked to people just this past Monday, they said, I can tell you one thing. If there's ever a church that David loved, it was Victory Church in Lakeland, Florida. If there's ever a place that he talked about was a dynamic church, it was Victory Church. If there was ever a place that he said, I know I got healed and got a miracle. Down at the altar at Victory Church, he said, I'm so glad they still bring people into the altar. I was healed there. Can I tell you something? In other words, everywhere he went, he remembered where it happened and did not take any of the credit. I'm here to tell you there is a God in heaven right now that is bursting at the seams to pour blessing out upon us, and that will come to pass as long as we say it's all God and it ain't any of us. Amen. It's all Jesus Christ. It's all the anointing of the Holy Spirit by His grace. For I I, I let you know that I resolved to know nothing except Jesus Christ, and crucified. And the fastest way to lose God's touch, the quickest way is to become puffed up with pride and begin to take credit for anything in your life. Anything. Well, you begin to take the glory. That's the glory when you become possessive. When you become possessive of anything in your life that you consider to be of value, be careful. It's easy for grandparents to be possessive of their grandchildren. Listen to me, friend. The only reason you have them is because you didn't kill your own children. You gave grace. But they belong to Jesus. Amen? They belong to Jesus. You begin to take the glory when you begin to feel worthy. Look what I've done. God, I've been in the church for 35 years. It's about time you did something for me. You begin to feel worthy. Look out. You become self-confident in your abilities. When you become self-confident in your abilities, I can tell you that God could pull back his gift of healing to you, and you could be sick unto death overnight overnight so god i thank you for the abilities that god can no longer speak that a godly fear is gone in other words when god says you're too busy for me you're you're just you're running down the highway night into nothing and you got a clear path but somewhere along the way you left the comforter behind look out my friend you see you're no longer teachable you're no longer teachable. How many of you know someone that's a know-it-all? That's right. Come on, get your hands up. You know a know-it-all. We all know the old know-it-alls. Know it a little bit about everything. You know, how, you know the best way is is lure them into a subject that you are smarter than they are on. Lure them into that subject and then bring it up. I've done it a lot of times. And see what their answer is and say, no, you're dead wrong. You thought you knew the answer, but here is the answer. Now, what do you say for yourself? Everybody with me? Sometimes you have to make your own fun. Teachable. You fail to readily give God praise. Fail to readily give God praise. Praise Him in the morning. Praise Him at noon. Praise Him in the evening. Praise Him in the, in the, in the, tri- praise Him, hallelujah, wherever you are, give Him praise and honor and glory, God, for without you, nothing is available, and Paul say, he says, give glory to God, First Corinthians 2, 5, he says, why, why do that, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on what, God's power not on your wisdom, but on God's power, I'd have never made it had it not been for you. How many have ever spoken in a situation and you heard your words as they, as they went out of your mouth and you realized, this is a little yard talk, that ain't me speaking. I'm not smart enough to come up with an answer like that. I, I'm, I'm not smart enough to be able to em, em that wisdom, right? That, that came from God. How many of you know God can speak to you if we listen and we've given Him the glory? We become vessels of honor in the Holy Spirit. And as a church, God has given us a dream vision. And in the natural, it's staggering. But it is possible if we maintain that willing heart. And a willing heart can resolve any situation of conflict. If you're just willing to remain humble, God has set before us a plan, a purpose, a vision in our lives, in your life that requires faith, that requires trust, that requires miracles, and requires vision. And when it comes to pass, listen, look what God gave. It's a miracle. Holy Spirit, it is a miracle. And remember this, God can take nothing and make something out of it. If he can do that, why would he need that little glob of gray matter between your ears? Amen? When he can speak nothing into existence. How wonderful is that? First Corinthians 2.14, so here's what he says. The man without the spirit. So when you see people who cannot grasp spiritual things, you see people that don't understand spiritual dimension. You see people talk as if they have the answer, but it doesn't lead to God. Here's what he says. The man without spirit does not accept things that come from or of the spirit of God. If you talk to a family member and they don't get it, Don't be alarmed. They don't have a spiritual dimension yet. If you speak to a family member that's lost and they do get it, you know that it is an impartation of God's Spirit in them to be able to get it. Otherwise, they can't get it. He says he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgment about all things. What do you you mean? He makes spiritual judgment and says, God, you're in charge here. This is you. I I need your help about this real estate deal, about that decision, about going here. it, it, it It is judgment of all things. But he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. Now, for who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have, here it is, but we have the mind of Christ. God, I don't know what to do. Someone said that to me yesterday, just weeping. I don't know what to do, pastor. Well, let's see if we can't figure that out. Let's see if we can't ask the Holy Spirit what he can do. If you don't know what to do, lean on the Lord. He'll give you the mind. If you're frustrated and confused, lean on on the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because God recognizes a willing heart. And a willing heart, he will not turn away. He will give you guidance and give you anointing. Amen. Amen. Put your hands together and let's thank Jesus. Would you? We're going to go into a time of prayer. I haven't heard anyone complain about doing this if I were you and you're thinking about complaining I would hide it and don't speak it okay because y'all know we don't pray enough amen that that that's just a discernment right there so I'd, I'd like to just offer several things that you might remember There are prayer cards in the pew backs in front of you with the exception of the front rows. If you have a need, because we're going into prayer, and you'd like to write that need down and say, Pastor, I want you to pray, I want staff. We're going to build, we're going to build, put a date on it. We're going to pray. So you can put that need down. You can print it. If you have good handwriting, that's wonderful. Otherwise, print. Now, I'm asking you to pray because in Mozambique, you saw the news. You saw the news. Hundreds were slaughtered by a mass attack in Mozambique. You saw that? Right there. Just yesterday. Can you imagine... For example riding on a bus and all of a sudden it explodes or being in a marketplace and all of a sudden it explodes. Bill Wilson Brooklyn all the children's ministry was in a place that I'm not able to tell you where but those that were guiding him to do some teaching had instructed Bill Bill's only about that big around but he had on a bulletproof vest and someone shot him in the back. But thanks to God, someone had discernment. And he only has a few broken ribs, and that is a real situation to have broken ribs, isn't it, Brother Jasso? It hurts. He uh, had some bleeding in his lungs. He is surviving. He refuses He's going to be dismissed out of the hospital. They actually flew him, I believe, to London. But even though the bullet did not penetrate, it just created trauma, fell, hit his head. But he says, and this is Bill Wilson, I'm not coming back to New York before I finish what I came here to do. I'm going back. And since he doesn't believe in committees, and he is not married, he's going to go back and finish what he started. Bill Wilson, he's the, the guy that we've had here several times, has the little pan haircut. What, what do you call it? Uh, Benjamin or something. Pray for Bill. Pray for the families of Mozambique. Pray for the California wildfires. I received a report today from one of our pastors in Miami that's been to Key West. This Friday will be 11 times. Takes about three hours from his church to get there and then back. He said, I'm telling you, Wayne, it still looks like a war zone down here. One church had zero insurance. And the reason they had no insurance, it's a small church, but it's a great little church. He said their building was about $150,000. The insurance premium per year was between forty dollars and $50,000. He said they were trusting the Lord. He said, but already churches and people like ours are pitching in and said, we're going to rebuild. And so that, that pastor, another pastor, Ernie DeLoach, Ernie DeLoach pastoring a church down there, primary portion of his church is destroyed, but the home that he was renting totally destroyed everything they had. After all these years of ministry, Ernie had dipped into his own retirement fund to get $10,000, which was not much to be able to give to the church in hard times several months ago. And now he says, our insurance, my ordination certificates, clothing, everything, Is gone. But I know God will provide. Would you remember Ernie? Would you remember our missions conference that's coming up? And let's just believe God. And would you take your own cards and your own needs? And let's remember those in Las Vegas, still many in the hospital, still. We need a miracle. We need to pray for our government, our leaders, and our president. Amen. So let's just go to prayer. We'll pray a few minutes. And then we'll we'll give the benediction. But let's just spend some quiet time in the presence of the Lord as we worship together.